We're in this series called 50 Day People where, where we're answering this question, what does it mean to be a Pentecostal church in a, in a modern day world? We get the word 50 because out of Pentecost, that was one of the great feasts of the Israelites. It came, it was called Pentecost because it was 50 days after Passover. And so you're going to see lots of pictures that, that bear the theme of running because we, we open the series with telling the story about the, the marathon man, right, who ran 50 marathons in 50 states and 50 consecutive days, and we all said, well, that's impossible, and so you're going to hear tonight, that's part of what it means for us as a church. We believe that God still does the impossible. He still, that's a hallmark of what it means to be 50-day people, to be a Pentecostal church, and so to, we're doing part two tonight, so if you weren't here, we're going to do some recap to get you along, but you need to listen to the podcast of last week, and then that will fill in some gaps for you, but, but just to get our minds moving in the right direction let me throw out this question. Church is a participatory sport here at the City Life Church. So just to get our minds moving along the right direction, what are some settings? Certainly not you, because you've never done this, obviously, but other people that you know, right? Times where they've been given to excess in their life. Dare I use the word gluttony or just where, where people are, have a tendency, again, we know it's not you, but other people who go to Anna's Pizza after the service on Saturday nights, right, who who are given to, to gluttony. What's, what's the dessert that Kevin Tully likes? It's what? Did I say his name? I didn't mean to say his name. I didn't mean to say his name. <laughs> it, there's a dessert there that he gets. Yeah, it's out of control. The dessert's out of control. All right, so, so, so come on. A setting or a circumstance that people tend to be out of control in. Dave, a buffet. Yes. Lori. Shopping. I know. Your child's football championship game. Yes, out of control. Guys at the church playing modern warfare. Guys at the church playing modern warfare. Well, ow, 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 conviction, conviction. Is Nate here? Where is Nate? Modern warfare. Somebody else. Out of, what, the lady, you buy lady shoes and you get out of control? Is that what you just said? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 I know. He's in a house of all women, all ladies. Camp, nice. Come on, youth camp, they're going to get out of control in some good ways. Come on, a couple of more. In ways that, that you find yourself out of control, or, or people in the world, you find them in out of control settings. People falling in love, new relationships maybe. I'm not pointing at anybody in particular, Right? No, you're, all of you are like, no, I don't know anything about that, right? Amanda, you got another one? A bar, absolutely. I mean, there are some absolutely destructive ways, right, that people find themselves out of control in this world. And so I introduced this thought to you, which I know is a little bit controversial, and we dug around in it last week. We're going to dig around in it some more tonight. But I, I truly believe this, that you and I were made to be greedy. We were made to be gluttonous and avarice and insatiable. God created you and I with a sacred capacity to never be full, to never be satisfied. We were not made to be measured. We have been divinely engineered for excess. God made you that way. The problem is, is that we give expression to that sacred part of who we are in ways that are unhealthy, in ways that are inappropriate. And, and, and God does not want to make you a person who's measured. He wants to take that part of you that's given to excess, and he just wants to point it in the direction that he wanted you to be able to express it. And that's part of what we talk, started talking about last week that we want to pick up with again tonight.
So we went through this list, right? I mean, who here is going to say, God, I've, I've really, I don't need any more of your love in my life. I don't need any more of your promises. I'm full of your grace. I don't need any more of your grace for the rest of my life. Come on, we worked through that list. We could add to that list. You think about all the things of God. There should be something inside of us that says, I just can't get enough and fill in the blank. Like worship, like we just experienced. I hope that that awakens something inside of you that says, I just can't wait till the next time I get to be in a setting with a group of people just declaring the goodness of God together with a church family. There should be something inside of us that says, I can't get enough. Verses all throughout the Bible. We did one out of Ephesians 5 last week, but there's verses all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture that speak to the, the, to the part of God that is absolutely not measured. Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, God is a God of excess. He's not out of control. That's different. We're not talking about being out of control. We're talking about, about an intentionality to direct the sacred part of who you are that's designed for excess in ways that are godly. Psalm 23, we mentioned that last week, right? A cup that runneth over. That, that, that God, the very nature of who he, there is nothing measured about the creator of the universe and we bear his image and we share in that part of who he is and he wants us to discover how to express that in some great ways. So last week we told a, a great faith promise story to kind of launch our faith promise giving campaign that's happened to us personally. Again, you've got if you weren't here last week and you've not heard the story of what's happened to Vanessa and I and our, our family, you need to hear that. But, you know, faith promise, if you call this your church home, you need to get one of those cards. You need to pray. God's going to give you a number. You're going to believe by faith that he's going to provide that number to you. And then you make a promise that as it begins to come in, that you're going to give it to the faith promise initiative. You don't put your name on the card. It's not a pledge. Nobody is going to follow up with you. It's just between you and God. We're going to do a faith promise initiative every year. It's just, it's, it's this idea that if, if he can get it through us, there's sometimes that's what it takes for him to give it to us. So we told the story we told here last Saturday night in Newport News on Sunday morning. Person, what did I say? Yeah, Williamsburg, in Williamsburg on Sunday morning. You're like, I didn't know we had a Sunday morning service here. So in Williamsburg, on Sunday morning, we told that same story, and somebody came up at the end of the service with a faith promise for $3,250 and then wrote a check right after they filled out the card and gave it to the church. Come on, it's just another story. I'm just asking, who here is saying, you know what, God, we, we are not really interested in you doing anything more like that in our, in our lives. We're not interested in you doing anything more. There should be something inside of us that says, God, we just can't get enough of that. So this family, they've been coming to the Williamsburg campus for, for several months now. They've been attending some of the vision casting meetings that we've been doing there. And, and if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, you know that the church that was there formerly before us, Pastor Jack, when he retired, and that church was just in a, in a difficult place. And so when our governance team met, we said, hey, we want to be able to bless him at some point. We don't have the resources to do it now. But during the year, he had deferred some salary. And we said, we want to give him all that money. No, we don't owe that money to him, right? It's just to honor him, to bless him. It was $3,250, and every time we've done a vision casting meeting, we've put that number up there and said, I know that many of you in this room, you don't even know Pastor Jack, but we want to bless him 
at some point. And so this new family began to pray about their faith promise. And, and, and so he got in the mail uh, last week a check, unexpected check, from a rollover from an IRA from a job change. And both he and his wife looked at each other and says, we're supposed to give a portion of this to meet that need to honor Pastor Jack. This is our faith promise. I'm just saying, you begin to pray, God gives you a number, and then I'm just saying, sit back. God is going to move in ways to release those resources to you so that you can release them into the kingdom. We want to be a church that says, God, I am never, I am never going to be able to say to you, God, I don't need you to do any more of those stories in my life. There should be a, something inside of us that says, God, I just can't get enough of that. Last week, we talked about a family that was buying a new car, and they gave their car, and we're giving that to a, a single mom. This week, I got a call from somebody. They're updating some. They're moving, and they're getting, getting new appliances. And so we've got a side-by-side refrigerator, washer and dryer, right? We're putting the word out for another family that's in need. We're just saying, how, can that just not be a part of the culture of our church? It just needs to be a culture of our church. And there should be something inside of us that says, I just can't get enough of it. So Mark 10, 27 is the verse that, that we've been anchoring this series on. We're reading it every week because we want you to be familiar with it. It says, Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. For us as a church, to be Pentecostal means that we have an unshakable and unshakable belief that God still makes the impossible possible. And that there's something inside of us that says, and I just can't get enough of that part of who God is. When we look into the book of Acts and we find the birthing of the very first church some 2,000 years ago, we see that there we call them the, the ten impossibilities. These were hallmarks. They, they just weren't glimpses. The, these defined the first church. Impossible growth and loyalty, community, we can read that list. And so in this series, we're digging around in each one. So we started Impossible Growth last week. We're going to pick up with it again this week. But again, th these weren't just moments. These weren't glimpses where, where something incredible broke out and then they went back to mediocrity. This, these were the hallmark. These defined who this church was and it should define who the church is today. And we certainly want it to define the City Life Church. So we started talking about the big three. So you know we like to do a giveaway every week at the City Life Church. So somebody that's been at the church three months or less, that was here last week, three months or less, who can tell me what the big three are? Anybody? Come on. Got a $10 Starbucks gift card here. Any newer people? All right, let's open it. Six months. Six months or less. Amy, did, did, was that Amy Kearney's hand up there? <laughs> Amy, shame on you, Amy. How, how long have you been coming to the church? Oh, she thought I said six years or less. Six years left. All right, somebody, six months or less. Anybody, six months or less? No? All right, let's, let's a year. Somebody who's been coming for a year, the big three? Anybody? Shame on you all. There is, therefore, now no condemnation in Christ, but certainly every now and again at the City Life Church. All right, we'll open it up. Open it up to anybody. The first hand I see, all right, I saw Amanda's hand. The, but the question is, and I think Amanda's going to let Tim give the answer. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Come on, that's good. Clap. Clap. Come on. I have goodies in the bag. Okay, because I know Amanda had those same three. Come on, see? We got a test. We got a test for grace every now and again. 
We like to reward grace at the City Life Church. Prizes for good behavior. Nice. So they did a great job. Amanda, your team's doing a great job with the Life Force. So good. So good this morning. I'm telling you, you got to check that out. The big three, the excess, the, the aberrant appetites of our humanity. Again, you can download the notes, you can listen to the podcast, but the lust of the flesh is a, is a lifestyle of unchecked physical pleasure. The lust of the eye is, is a lifestyle that's preoccupied with the material world. And the pride of life is a lifestyle that is determined independence from God. I told the story about Claire when she was growing up. She would always come to us, right, and say, you know, say no to me, and then she would ask what she wanted. Right? You know, say no to me, I want some candy. Right? So, so all of us, that's how we interact with God. So often in our lives, we, we have this attitude of, you know, say no to me. I want to do it myself, my way, my way. It's the pride of life. And the devil comes at us in these three ways time and time again because he knows that God created us with a capacity for excess, so he tempts that part of who we are. And that's one of the deceptive parts of sin is that we find ourselves in sin and something inside of us, it feels right, but yet it feels wrong. And he traps us into this place of confusion. It feels right because we're giving ourselves fully to something that you were created to be, but what you're giving yourself to is destructive. And so that's why you feel guilty. And God says, come on, I want to direct you in the ways that are going to be life-giving. So we looked at Jesus, his first temptation is the Spirit of God led him out into the wilderness. The three temptations that Satan gave to him were with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Again, you can hear that in the podcast. We talked about Samson last week, Judges 14 and 16. We saw in that story the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that at the end of his life, right, his eyes were gouged out, right? We talked about what that means, that, that his body, he became a slave to his body, the lust of the flesh, and then his final prayer was, God, do you remember me, the pride of life? I was talking to somebody this week, and, and they said, man, that sermon last week was great. I said, keep going. You're doing good. Keep going. Let it out. Just let it out. <clears throat> they said, but I was so frustrated. Listen to that sermon. Because I just read the story of Samson this past week, they said. I saw nothing of that in there. Nothing of that. I said, come on, that's the beauty of the church. We need the revelation that each of us have. And it's the beauty of God's Word that you can read that story every day for the rest of your life. It's alive. It's a living Word. You're going to find new things every time. It's unlike any other book. It's part of what it means when it's alive. That's part of why I'm just telling you as a side note, all of us should have a church that we call home. Because you have a revelation of God's word. Other people have revelations. And that's part of what being a Pentecostal means is that you believe that, that the Holy Spirit brings revelation. And, and, and we share that with each other. And, and our wisdom grows deeper because we're in relationship with one another and we share the, re- the revelation that we have. So there's a great opportunity as we begin to talk with each other about that all of us should experience that frustration. All of us should experience that frustration. It means that we're, we're, we're deep into a church where God wants us to be, and all of a sudden there's revelation coming through other people. Come on, it's good. That's why life groups are so important. All right, let's talk about Adam and Eve. All right, so that was our little bit of our, of our recap just to get you up to speed. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. I want to start in verse 1. I want you to see that the big three, they're right here, right, right out of the gate, right out of the gate, in the beginning of time, we see the big three. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you can't eat 
from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or, t- or touch it, or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. And in fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Come on, that's the pride of life already right here. He's saying, I'm telling you, if you eat of this fruit, you will not need him anymore. Then the woman, watch watch this, it's right here. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh. There was something inside of her that said, oh, I bet this is just going to be delicious. There was something inside of her that that said, I want to experience what's being offered to me. The lust of the flesh. Come on, unchecked physical pleasure. Listen to, it's right here, the very next thing. And it's delightful to look at, the lust of the eye. She's saying, oh, I just, I just can't take my eyes off of it. For some of you, that's a challenge in your life. There's some things that you just can't take your eyes off of. Material possessions, relationships that are competing with your devotion to Christ. It stands there like an apple in this modern-day world, and it just has your attention in ways that are unhealthy, the lust of the eyes. It's delightful to look at. And then, come on, it's right here. Listen, look, look what it says. Number three, it only gives us three descriptions, and they're all the big three that we find in 1 John. And the third one is this, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Not the kind of wisdom that's good. The kind of wisdom that says, you don't need God anymore. There's an understanding that, we're need, that we need, and then there's an understanding that we need to abandon, right? And in Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. So much of Proverbs is about knowledge and understanding and wisdom, but it's knowledge and understanding and wisdom that comes from God that's born out of God's Word. But then there's a knowledge and a wisdom and an understanding that, that's born out of this world. And right here in the beginning of time, we see Lucifer tempting Adam and Eve with that kind of wisdom. It's an independent kind of wisdom. It's, a, it's, it's humanism. It says that, that there's a wisdom that you can attain where you won't need religion anymore. That's what he's saying right here in the beginning of time. The pride of life. So what does she do? She took some of its fruit and she ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Come on. He was there when all of this was going down. And he ate it. And listen to what it says. The big three right here again. Then her eyes, then, then the eyes of both of them were open. I'm going to read all three, and then I want to talk about all three. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and I think this is number two. It's, it's not expanding on number one. And they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. That's number two. And then number three is, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, so that the Lord called out to, out to man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was a naked. It's a different kind of nakedness now because he wasn't naked anymore because they had made clothes for themselves. I was naked and so I hid. So the first one is this. It says, their eyes were open. What does that mean? 
When we give ourselves to a preoccupation to this material world, there will come a day in your life where your eyes will be opened and you will see all that you have lost. And there will be a feeling of regret that will flood your soul that can drown you. It can drown you if you don't look to God to set you free from it. There is a moment of regret here that's given to us in Scripture when their, when their eyes were open. I, I think that that's what, what God's trying to say. If you give yourself to this preoccupation of material world, your eyes will be open. I think what their eyes were open to is it was open to everything that had just been lost. So men, for some of you, this is an important night. Because your preoccupation with the material world is through your job, it's through your career. And I'm telling you, one morning you're going to wake up, your children are going to be grown and gone out of your house, and there's going to be regret that will fill your heart that could drown you. You with me? For some of you, for some of you, your preoccupation with the material world, it's going to cause you that one day you're going to wake up and your marriage, it's going to be over. Come on, it's serious business tonight. Serious business. Every time you give yourself to the lust of the eye, every time you give yourself to this preoccupation of the material world, it seems as though it's going to reward you, but the only thing that it ever does is take from you, which is why in John 10.10, Jesus says, come on, he comes like a thief to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, what? So that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. Their eyes were open. They experienced regret for the very first time in their lives. Unresolved grief in a person's life can be devastating. And for some of you, you're walking in a place of unresolved grief. And for some of you, it's because you had a preoccupation with the material world and it's just taken from you. Maybe that's part of the the turning around for some of you tonight that Vanessa was talking about. And it's interesting, the next thing it says, and, and, they realized they were naked. And they, and they made clothes for themselves. I think this is Jesus trying to teach us, come on, about the lust of the flesh. If you give yourself to a lifestyle of unchecked physical pleasure, at some point, at some point, you're going to wake up in your life and you're going, to, you're going to realize, you're going to realize that you have allowed the appetites of your physical body to rule you in such a way that you begin to despise yourself. Self-hatred and self-rejection is a terrible thing in the world. If you've been around uh, churches before, if you've been around, you've been around people that come in hurting and and, and their struggle in life is self-rejection. Their struggle in life is self-hatred. And oftentimes people who struggle with that, it's because they've given themselves to unchecked physical pleasures. And then this is what, again, it's the lie of it. Unchecked physical pleasures, they start out being fun. They, They start out, you think, oh, this is good. But at some point, at some point, you realize that you belong to that physical pleasure and it becomes an addiction. And once you fall into that trap, you begin to hate yourself for allowing you to be in that place. And now what you used to do for fun, what you used to do for pleasure, now you begin to do it as a practice of self-destruction to punish yourself because because of the hate that's in your heart for your own body that now you are a slave to. And many of you know people in your life who that's, they're doing it right now. They're doing it right now. 
And so many people in this world who give themselves excessively in sexual ways and, 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 and for alcohol and, and drugs and things like that, it's just it's self-destruction that's socially acceptable. A lot of people that struggle with gluttony, it's self-destruction that's socially acceptable. Some of you know people that cut themselves and hurt themselves, right? And, and that's not socially acceptable. And so the alarms go off and we see that. But I'm just telling you there's another whole world of self-destructive behavior out here. It's because people are struggling with self-hatred and self-rejection. It's just the story of Adam and Eve in the beginning of time playing out again and again and again. It's the things that they do to try to hide themselves because they hate themselves. Come on, self-rejection. And then it says they hid in the garden. And we mix those two things up a little bit because it uses the word naked twice. But, but we know, again, as we said, as we read it together, we know that they're not naked because they just made clothes for themselves, right? So, so we know that they're not hiding because of a physical nakedness. They're hiding because of a different kind of nakedness. They're hiding now because they feel the shame of having given themselves to this moment of determined independence from God. And I'm telling you, shame is a powerful emotion in people's lives. There, there are people in this world, and it breaks our heart, and this is what they wake up every day saying, God will never be able to forgive me for what I've done. And so they spend their lives hiding in this garden. That's part of what Jesus was talking about when he says, hey, you need to go out into the highways and the byways. He wasn't just talking about reaching under-resourced people. That's part of it. He was saying, hey, you better go out and find people that are hiding from me because they bought into the lie because of the shame that's come. Yes, that's part of the consequence of the choices that they've made, but come on, that's what grace is about, finding and pulling people out of those consequences and helping them to experience the forgiveness of a loving God. We find ourselves, after we've given ourselves to, to this determined independence, we wake up one day and all of a sudden we're just filled with shame. And that which what we've wanted, now we have. And it's like with Samson, it's a lonely place to live. It's one of the passions of our church to go out and find people that are just disconnected from the body of Christ who are struggling and suffering and have heaped shame upon themselves. Sometimes, come on, the church has been the one that's heaped shame upon them, God forbid. Move into a church that helps pull them out of a place of hiding and into a place of where there, there's, a, there's a willingness to stand in front of the gaze of heaven and just be made whole. Just be made whole. Come on. Adam and Eve right here in the beginning of time. Regret, self-rejection, and shame. So, so, so maybe you're here, maybe you're here last week, and maybe you come back, came back this week, and you're saying, Fred, this, this seems like a great sermon on temptation. This seems like a great sermon on the, the, the impossibilities of our humanity, but, but it doesn't really seem to be connected with the idea of impossible growth. But it has everything to do with impossible growth. In fact, I would suggest to you it's why the church grew in the way that it did. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Oh, come on, don't you like God's Word? It's, it's a taste and see that the Lord is a good place to go. Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come with me, now we're going to talk about that in a minute because that means something very specific because he just told them what he's going to do. He just told them, which we're going to get to it, but he said, I'm going to go and do this. So now he's at a place where he's saying, if you want to be a part of it, if you want to come with me, listen to what he says. He talks to them about conquering the big three. He says, if you want to come with me, 
You must deny yourself and you must take up your cross and you must follow me. Now, we know he's not talking about dying on a cross for our own sins because that's his cross. That's the gospel, right? If we've got to all die on our own cross for our own mistakes and our, 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 our own sins, then, then where, is, where does that leave Christianity? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, right? We're all my Baptist brethren and sisters in here. Come on, the Roman road. Anybody learn the Roman road, right? Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. No, Romans 3.23, for all of sin. See, I'm, nobody's correcting me. What's going on? Romans 3.23, for all of sin and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. And then 6.23, 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a cross that Jesus died on, which we're going to talk about at the end of the service, that gives us the hope of the heaven forever. But right here, he's talking about us taking up a cross. What's that about? We, we know he's not talking about a cross to make atonement for our sin because that's his cross. He's talking about the cross that you and I must bear to put to death, to put to death the lust of the flesh. He's saying to you and I, he uses the cross for a reason because there's a physical death that we've got to be willing to die. And the physical death that you and I have got to be willing to die is to say to this body, you don't own me anymore. There's a death and a dying that has to happen. There's a death and a dying that took place in me when I was 23 years old and I had lived a hedonistic lifestyle for my whole life. There was a death and a dying that had to happen where I said to my body, you belong to me, I don't belong to you anymore. It's a new day. And then it, it's a walking out, right? It's a, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. That's part of the discipleship process. Maybe that's part of the journey that many of you are going to go on tonight. Maybe that's part of the repentance that, that you've struggled with the lust of the flesh. And, and now tonight you're going to say, I'm not going to live as a slave to my physical body anymore. I'm going to take up this cross. Galatians 2.20, come on, it's a great verse. For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of Man who loved me and gave himself for me. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about what we're talking about tonight. You have got to be willing to die a death, to letting the lusts of the flesh rule your life. Jesus is saying, if you want to come with me and do what I do on this earth, not come with me to be in heaven because I'm going to take care of that for you later when I die on the cross. But if you want to be a part of what I'm doing in the world, the heaven on earth part, You've got to conquer the lust of the flesh. But he doesn't stop there, right? Because there's the big three, not the big one. So then he says in verse 25, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the pride of life. He's saying you've got to be willing to wake up one day and say I don't belong to myself anymore. You are the boss of me. When I was 23 years old, that was part of the journey that I had to begin. There is nothing that I believe today that I did not believe for the first 23 years of my life. Grew up in a Christian home, grew up in a church much like this. I believe all the same things. The, the difference is, the difference is, there was a change in December of 1990 when I said, Jesus, you are the boss 
of my life forever. I want you to tell me how to live. I want you to tell me what my purpose is. I want you to to tell me what's right and what's wrong. Holy Spirit, I want you to be the most dominant influence in my will. I want you to change my values. I want, you with me? I want to be enculturated with the kingdom of heaven. I want to be immersed in the things of God. I want you to be my Lord. That's what that word Lord means. And I want to live. You be my master, and I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. There's a shift that happens in a person. There's a shift. The pride of life, we lay it down where we begin to say, this idea of being independent from God, come on, that's where death is. Life is being subservient to him. Life is being subservient to him. And Jesus is saying right here, if you want to find life, you've the life, the life that I have for you, you've got to be willing to lay down the life that you're trying to live on your own. If you want to come with me, he says, if you want to, if you want to do what I do, if you want to be a part of what I'm about ready to do in this world, in eternity, come on, then you've got to be willing to climb on the cross and crucify the lust of the flesh. You've got to be willing to lay down the pride of life, but he doesn't stop there. Come on, because there's three. Watch this. Come on, God's word is so good. Verse 26, what will it benefit a man or woman? Come on, what does it benefit a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul? And it says life here in some translations. The word here for world, it's, it's, it's a specific word. World can mean lots of things, right? World can mean our physical world because we use the world, the word world in lots of different ways. Sometimes we use it to say, come on, that's worldly, right? But he uses the word in the Greek here. He uses a very specific word. He uses the word cosmos. He uses the word cosmos. When you look up at the definition of cosmos, it says that which pertains to space, not time. And if you keep reading, it says it is the sum of all things material in the universe. Everybody 2,000 years ago when they were standing with Jesus, they knew exactly what he was talking about. He was saying, you have got to give up the lust of the eye. All of these things in this material world that you're so excited about getting a hold of, people and relationships and material possessions and wealth, everything that is material, he's not saying you can't ever have any of it. He's just saying you can't live for it anymore. You've got to live for me and trust that what out of here, what portion is supposed to be yours, I'm going to give that to you, which is why in Matthew chapter 6, come on, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all things are going to be added to you. He's got material things that he wants to give to us, but he wants that to be the byproduct of a life of devotion to him. So he's just putting it, he's laying it out right here. 2,000 years ago, and he's laying it out here tonight. He's saying, if you want to be a part of what I'm going to do, you have got to be able to conquer these three things that John's going to write about one day. He hasn't yet because he doesn't know about the New Testament, but one day there's going to be a New Testament, and he's going to write something about these things. Just trust me, right? Because they didn't have this part of the Bible 2,000 years ago. But Jesus knew it was going to come, and he knew what was going to be in there, which is why when you read the whole rest of the New Testament and all the things that happened after Jesus, they all match up because Jesus, come on, was walking just in the truth of the Father every moment of his life. He said, you've got to conquer the lust of the flesh. You've got to conquer the lust of the eyes. And you've got to conquer 
the pride of life if you want to go and do with me what I'm planning. You can go and do some things that you might want to plan, but I'm just telling you, I've got something that I'm planning. If you want to be a part of that, then you've got to deal with these things. Matthew 16, 18. So you might be saying, what's he talking about? Well, if you move back up in the chapter a little bit, he tells us, now I say to you that you are Peter. And then upon this rock, right, his confession, I will build my what? I will build my church. Right here for the very first time in the teachings of Christ, he reveals to us what his plan is for the world after he leaves. He's going to create something. He's going to give birth to something. The word church didn't exist then. It was ecclesia is, is, is the word that, that they were given. It means the called out of. It means that we're, we're called out of the life we used to live and we're called into a life together like what we read about in the psalm. We call, we're, we're, we're called into a place of community and that community we believe is defined by six things. To be a church. It's defined by people who, who just have a, a devotion to Christ that's, that's never ending. We just want to keep going deeper in our devotion to Christ, intimacy with God, the care of one another, an appetite for personal transformation, diligence in ministry, and then wanting to be filled by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Those are the six things that we call the commanding invitations of Christ. And the church is, is, is charged to go out into the world and create communities that teach and champion those six things because as you begin to experience those six things, you begin to experience the depth of eternal life, the side of heaven, the heaven on earth part. And he's saying to them, he's saying to you and I, you want to be a part of doing that? Because if you do, if you do, you've got to conquer these three things. And if you conquer these three things and give yourself to building this thing that I call the church, local communities of people that gather together, come on, with the belief that cities can transform because of those churches that are there, what does he say? The powers of hell will not conquer it. So it should come as no surprise to us that this is where the devil is the busiest. This is where he does his work. So as you keep reading in in Matthew 16, Jesus says, if you want to be a part of this, and not just be a part of it, but if you want to do it in such a way that not even all of hell and all of its power could even come close to stopping you, then you conquer the lust of the flesh. You conquer the lust of the eyes. And you conquer the pride of life. And if you are willing to do those things, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to enable you to do it. If you're willing to give yourself to those things, then you will be a part of building a church in the world that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you will change a generation. And you might be asking yourself, well, Fred, that sounds good, but has it ever been done before? I'm so glad you asked that. Come on. Acts chapter 2. Not only has it been done, it was the way it started. Acts chapter 2, 41 to 47. Acts 2, 41 to 47. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And then fear came over everyone, not a bad fear, but a holy fear, right? That's reverence, it's respect. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles, and now all the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. It sounds like 
Faith promise, doesn't it? And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together every day. Come on, you think you've got it hard coming to church once a week. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house and they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. It's impossible growth. And the only way we're ever going to experience impossible growth like they experienced 2,000 years ago if we do what they did. They didn't experience impossible growth because they became people of moderation, but because they became people of excess. They just couldn't get enough of generosity. They couldn't get enough of relationships and teaching and worship and prayer. And we could keep going with that list. And, and, and the very first church it grew, it impossibly grew every single day. Because they understood what we're talking about over these last couple of weeks. They understood that they were not made to be measured. They understood that they were engineered for excess. And the world then, just as it is today, is hungry, is hungry for someone to tell them, why is it that I wake up every day and there's something inside of me that just wants more? Why is it that every day that I wake up, there's something inside of me that wants to abandon myself to something? Why is there something inside of me that just makes me a little bit nervous because I feel like if I turn it loose, it's just... It's just never going to be satisfied. The church should be the place who's able to answer that question for them. That you feel that way because you were made that way and God wants you to discover a way to express that excess in a place of prayer, in a place of worship, with God's word, in relationship, in generosity. He does not want to change that part of who we are. He just wants to point it in the right direction. And when there is a community of people who are, we, who are willing to be pointed in that direction together, I'm just saying, look out. Impossible growth will come to that church because they will be reliving the very steps that were laid out for us 2,000 years ago. If we want to be a part of building a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against, then we cannot be a people of moderation. Luke 10.2, these were his instructions to them. It says, the harvest is great. The harvest is great, but the workers, they're, they're few. So pray to the Lord every Friday at 6.30 in Newport News in Williamsburg, who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. We said this as we were standing in the waters of the James River at our church picnic this summer, and we looked up onto that embankment. Come on. And we said, this, this is what I said. This is not enough. It's not enough. I know these are summer numbers and people are on vacation and out running around, but even if we had a full house, right, we were on the other side of summer, I'd stand up in front of you and I would say the same thing. This is not enough. Not because you don't matter. Not because you're not important. Not, not because this church wouldn't still be here if it was just a handful of people. We're saying it's not enough because that's what Jesus said in Luke 10. Because that's what he said to that crowd. He's saying, if you're excited about this, this isn't enough for me. He's just saying, I came to save the world. I came to save the world. This might be a little controversial, but one, one of my hang-ups with the stream of theology and Calvinism is that I believe that it sets a limit on God's appetite for redemption. I have a problem with that. Because I don't think God has a limit to his appetite for redemption. He wants to see the whole world come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We should have a chair problem at the City Life Church because we have an excess problem 
We should have a chair problem at the City Life Church because we have an excess problem in our own personal lives. Because there is a passionate spirituality inside of us. We can't get enough of His Word. We can't get enough of prayer. We can't get enough of accountability that's healthy. We can't get enough of stewardship. We have 12 pathways that we talk about at our church. You can find out about those on our website. But those are the things that we believe God says, these 12, give yourself an excess to these things. That every time you walk away from the table of my Word, that something inside of you would say, even though I'm full, come on, I just want another bite. And I'm just saying, when a group of people can come together and give expression to that kind of excess, I'm just telling you, we will experience what happened in this book. And I think that's God's great desire for every church. And we're certainly saying we want to see it happen here at the City Life Church. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to close with a song together tonight. If you're new to the church, I hope you'll go onto the website and check out those 12 pathways, and I hope that you begin to ask yourself some honest questions. What things on this list have I lost my appetite for? And then you're going to restart them. You might not be able to restart pursuing all 12 of them tomorrow, but you can pick one or two. You can pick one or two and say, I'm going to begin to feast upon these things. And then at some point, you just keep adding them in. At some point, those things define who you are. And the other thing I'm asking you to do tonight in response to this, this conversation that we started with last week and that we're picking up with this week, we're going to continue in the series for the rest of the summer, but specifically this idea of impossible growth, that, that, that you're, just like we talked about faith promise, that you're going to begin to have a conversation with people, with, with God, not just about that number, if that hasn't happened for you yet, but you're going to begin to have a conversation with God about people. And you're going to say, God, who in my life am I supposed to reach out to? Who in my family? Who in my neighborhood? Who in my workplace? Who in my community? There are people on this earth that God has assigned to you. To you. To you. And you might say, well, Fred, my life's a mess. Well, then that's just going to make them feel all the more comfortable coming to church, right? He doesn't say, once you've got it all together, go out and start to invite people to come. He doesn't say, once you've dealt with your own junk. He just says, hey, come on, go do it. Start doing it right now. Who you are with the problems that you have. Father, we say, let it be that over these next few weeks, that you're going to awaken an appetite inside of us for the things of the kingdom of God like we've never been hungry before. And on this journey, God, that you're just, we're going to see people's faces. God, come on, in Jesus' name, let it be some people in here, they're going to see faces they don't even know who they are, and they're going to turn around in line at the grocery store, and they're going to be there. And they're going to, ah. And in that moment, come on, they're just going to strike up a conversation. Father, we, we believe you want to move in supernatural ways just like that in our lives and in our church. We want to see faces, God. And we want to see those faces like you see faces. In Jesus' name, come on, somebody here, you're going to see a face that you're hoping you're not going to see. You know what I'm talking about, right? The person you're thinking, I, I don't even want them in this church. Come on, God, may it be that, that, that we would have the same kind of grace for people that we don't like just like you've got grace for us so oftentimes when we're undeserving of your affection and attention. 
some people in here, they're going to see some faces of people that they don't like, and you're going to begin to stir something inside of them and begin to go after those, those people with reckless abandonment. Come on, stand with me. Let's worship together. Father, awaken us.